Let's bow our heads and pray, and then we got a lot to cover here tonight. We'll try to get as much of it covered as we can. Lord, thank you tonight for your faithfulness, for your love for us, Lord, for your compassion. Thank you, Lord, for going out on a limb, literally, to win us to yourself. Thank you for giving your life, for shedding your blood. Thank you, Lord, for becoming all things to us. You didn't have to become human. You didn't have to be born in a barn. You didn't have to submit to humans. You didn't have to be tortured. You chose it because you loved us. And you gave your life for us. Lord, we just ask you that you'd help us to understand as over the next five weeks how totally lost the world we live in really is. How desperately they need Christ and how you want to use us to win the world. God, just give us teachable hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you need to take out a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen if you have it. If you don't, then you need to remember this. Write it down. I'm going to give you an assignment right off, and then I'm going to give you kind of an overview of what this class is about, and then we'll get into our first component tonight. I want you to make a list... You don't have to do this now, but this is like the assignment, okay? I want you to make a list of five lost people that you know, five people who do not know Christ. Now, they must be people who live in close proximity to you that you could have contact with. Here's what I mean. I mean, not a relative that lives 2,000 miles away. Now, you can make a longer list... That's okay. You can make 10 or 20 or 30. But, but I want you to put down five names of people. They might be a couple of co-workers, a couple of neighbors, a couple of old friends, a couple of people on your volleyball, your softball, your indoor soccer team, your knitting club, your uh, bowling club, your you know movie club, your gourmet club, your people you go to the coffee. I don't know. Five people who you know do not know the Lord. Second thing about these five people is probably five people who are not currently going to a church. Okay? Not like a devoted Lutheran or devoted Episcopalian or a devoted Baptist or a devoted Catholic or devoted whatever. Now, if they sporadically attend church and you happen to know that they've been looking around for something more, then they're fair game. You put them down on your list. Okay? I'll get to these principles as we go on, but basically what we're talking about here is the most winnable first. We want to go after the most winnable first. Okay? Here's why. 85% of all people that come to Christ came to know the Lord through a friend, relative, associate, or neighbor. In other words, that person had an influence in them. How many of you came to know the Lord through someone who was sort of a friend or a neighbor or relative or associate? Raise your hand. That he brought you to Evergreen. It was someone that you know you knew. Raise your hand really high. Keep them up really, 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 really high. Well, you know, I think if I'm not mistaken, my data eye here, it's about 80% of this room. And that's the point. All right? The point is, is that friends bring friends to Christ. Relatives bring relatives to Christ. So, the strategy is that if we go after the most winnable, they'll win the next person they know that you don't know. You follow me? Do you follow that? 
you know five, probably in fact you could broaden your list to maybe you know a hundred people in your realm of influence. Probably most of us have about 20 people in our lives that do not know the Lord that we could have some sort of an influence upon. We don't want to worry right now about the people you do not have influence upon. You follow me? All right. Now these five people, here's what you're going to do. Turn first. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. <clears throat> I urge then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, if you uh, don't mind marking up your Bible, I'd like you to underline a couple things. First of all, I want you to underline um, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. For everyone. Now, that doesn't mean, Lord, I just pray for everyone today. Just love everybody, Lord. Just bless the whole big wide world. Amen. Okay? That is not what we're talking about. All right? Okay, now I could get off on government and how important it is to pray for them, but, um, you know, they're there, our rulers, our authorities. We should be praying for those individuals. But specifically what I wanted you to see is that, that the everyone in your life may be five individuals that you know. All right? That God could use you directly in their lives. Then I want you to underline, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved. The word men means mankind. It means people. It doesn't mean men as in males. Who wants all mankind to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's something I really want to drive home to you here throughout this five weeks. God's desire is to save everyone. He will not force himself upon anyone. Man has been given a choice. Jesus said, whosoever will may come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in the Son is not condemned. He who does not believe in the Son of God is condemned already, for he has not believed in the one and only God. Okay? So, that's the first thing I want you to see, is that God wants us praying for people. Well, what does he want us praying? That they'd come to know Christ. Now, go to the book of Colossians. Colossians and chapter 4. And verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. You might want to underline the word devote. And then what I'd like you to do is go home this week and look it up in Webster's Dictionary and see what it means and then ask yourself, hmm, gee, do I do that? And then change. Okay, just really simple. Go look up the word. Don't pretend you know what it means. Go look it up in the Webster's Dictionary. See what the word devote means or devoted 
And then after you read the meaning, you assess the situation, ask yourself, hmm, am I like that? No. Should I improve in that? Yeah. And then do it. Being watchful and thankful. Well, why do you think it says being watchful? Because you're expecting a result. You're watching for the answer. And you're thankful for what God is doing. Now, look at this. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. It is God's job to open a door for your message. So that you might proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I would proclaim it clearly as I should. Then look at this. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Who are outsiders? The Bible never refers to that means unbelievers. Those outside the church versus those in. Remember this summer we did the whole series on the church? The church is saved people. The non-church is unsaved people. So outsiders are those outside the family of God. Your five friends. Be wise in the way you act as outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. I want to ask you this question. Be honest. Don't be embarrassed. How many of you regularly, let's say two or three times a week, ask God, Oh Lord, Use me for the gospel and open up a door of opportunity that I could share my testimony or the gospel with someone else today. Raise your hand. Real high. Okay. Look around the room. Leave your hands up. I want you all to look around the room. Okay. Now put your hands down. How many would say that that needs to change? There we go. Okay, put your hands down. Good. On the same page. Now... How many of you regularly, on two or three times a week, pray for your own needs, for your family, for a, for a family, for a mate, for your job, for whatever? Raise your hand. <laughs> That's what I thought. We're people of prayer, aren't we? It's amazing. When our needs are at stake, we pray. I'm not saying this to shame you. I'm saying this to let you know Mark knows what he's talking about. There's a huge need in this. There is a huge need. Our primary mission in life is to win the lost world of Christ. I was talking with a young person today on the phone, and some of you singles know I recently did this, uh, you know, relationship thing on guy girls, and I only scratch the surface. There's so much more that we're going to get to in the coming weeks. So look for the date because I'll be there again. Lord willing, I won't be sick. They missed the first one. Um. And this person was talking to me about, you know, a maid and possibility of this and that. And I said, you know what? Really, the whole question of marriage and everything is really very simple. If, if you've solved some personal things first. That is, what are you going to do with the rest of your life and why? See, the, the maid issue is no problem for me. I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to die for Christ. Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will find it. Jesus told his disciples in Mark 16, go into all the world and preach the Gospel to all creation. If you look through the book of Acts, that's exactly what they did because they knew that's exactly what he meant. You and I are no different. They were to teach us to do everything that Jesus commanded them to do. That is our mission, folks. That is our cause. That is our reason for living. So, whether I'm single or married, my purpose in life has never changed. 
So, it was easy to find a wife. Just trust God. Let Him bring her my way. Only one requirement, Lord. She better have the same priorities. Doesn't matter to me if she's a Christian. No, what's more important to me that she's a Christian is she's a radical disciple. And if she doesn't have the same goals, the same itinerary as you've given me, boom, I don't even think twice. No problem. That narrows it down real fast. I don't care if she's cute. I don't care if she's awesome. I don't care if she's smiley. I don't care if she's deeply spiritual. If she does not have a commitment to win a lost world to Jesus Christ, she is disobedient to God's mandate for our lives. And I don't have time for that. See? So it's simple. So, you know, two years after praying that and after determining where my life would go, God brought me to a woman that has never deviated from that mandate her whole life. And whether I have to be gone to Honduras or I have to go to this conference, I have to go to this conference, this girl has always known I am not hers. I am God's. And we serve Him together. And that's what our life is about. Sacrificing what we could have now for what we will have in eternity. I was telling the young college students the other night, I was on the campus, I said, I want to tell you something. And I mean this sincerely. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. The world that I live in has nothing I want. It has nothing I want. 41 years old, I don't own a house. I don't really care if I have a house. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a house. It might even be better financial stewardship if I did, but I've done it just so I won't get caught up in it because all the little house repairs, I, just, I get other things I've chosen to do, I want to do in my time. I don't want their boats, I don't want their pleasure, I don't want their fun. But I'll tell you, there's one thing I want. I don't have a hobby. I genuinely mean that. And my hobby is, is people. I want the people on the planet. That's all I want from this planet is the people that are on it. There's only three things that last forever. God, His Word, Isaiah says, heaven and earth will pass away. Your words will not pass away. And what is the third thing that lasts forever? Real loud, what is the third thing that lasts forever? People. Souls. But people. They're not just invisible souls. They will go soul, spirit, and body right in the pit of hell. It won't be a soul in hell. It will be a soul, spirit, and body. And you will go to heaven, spirit, and soul, and you will be joined with a brand new body that looks just like you, only it's perfect, and it will live forever and ever and ever. That's what's at stake, my friends. That's the issue. And that's what Christ has called His bride to live her life for. And if you're going to be obedient, then there's nothing wrong with praying with your own needs. But let me tell you, how, how many grew up learning the Lord's Prayer? Hey, put your hands in. How many of you grew up Catholic? Raise your hand. How many of you grew up Lutheran? Raise your hand. How many grew up Catholic or Lutheran? Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, that's the majority of, it, of you right there. And they teach you the Lord's Prayer. What is the first line in the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed be thy name. What's the next line? And then what's the prayer? Okay, stop. <laughs> now, did you notice something in that prayer? What is the first issue we ought to pray about according to Jesus' instruction? Your kingdom, not my needs. 
Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth just like you do it in heaven. Boom, you say this, you say this, you say this, and everybody obeys. Do it that way on earth. Then I go, Lord, give me my, my needs today. Meet my needs, my daily bread. Nothing wrong with praying about that. But as you could tell a little earlier, ow, we're kind of out of balance, aren't we? Let's admit it, we're like really out of balance. God wants to change that. He wants the world to be on our heart. He wants the needs of others to be on our heart. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. And Jesus taught his disciples that a servant, the servant of all, will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, here's what I want you to do, starting off. i got a lot of groundwork here that I need to cover to bring you along in your understanding, and that's my goal. My goal with this class, and it has been for years, is to help make you effective personal witnesses for Jesus Christ, okay? That's the goal of this class. Now, we're going to start with some basic foundational truths, help you understand what the world's really like, what's causing the problems in the world, and what's the solution for the world's need. And then we're going to talk about how you can become a contagious individual, an individual who knows how to influence other people. You know what the first step is? The first step is to believe that God answers prayer. And here's what you're going to pray. You're going to start praying for those five friends by name. Lord, today, I ask you for Sally, for Mary, for Bob, for Joel, Samantha. Lord, I just pray for their salvation. I ask you, Lord, that you'd be bringing circumstances into their life. You'd be bringing situations into their life that would cause them to have a hunger for you. And then, Lord, I want to ask you that you would give me an opportunity to share my faith with those individuals. I want to ask you, Lord, that you would open a door of opportunity that when I call them up this week, I'm calling up Joel this week, Lord, and I invite him to go see Gattaca, that he'd come. And that after that, when we're at Champs, and we're eating some fries, and we're sharing a beer... I'll get to that later, beer evangelism. Just hold on. Okay. <laughs> that, Lord, you would open up a door for me to begin dialoguing with him about his life. I ask, Lord, that he begin asking questions. I ask, Lord, that, you know, you just show me how I could begin to share with him. I want to tell you something. I promise you this on my life. That if you start to do that, and if you do what you learn in this class, in the next year, many of you will have led someone to Christ or been able to bring them to Evergreen and they will come to know Christ. And that's a fact. Alright? Now, that's your assignment for the entire five weeks. And, of course, you know what Mark's hoping is it becomes a lifestyle, a life habit, because that's the whole point of Christianity, that it becomes a lifestyle. Not something we do, you know, Oh yeah, five years ago I went to that class. I did it for about four weeks. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I haven't done that for about four years. I was with a friend recently, a pastor, who I love dearly. I've known him for years. Picked me up at the airport and we spent the next seven straight hours talking. And then I had a meeting that night. I went another three hours. And uh, all about ministry. And I asked him this question. I said, four years you've been doing this particular church. Is that right? He said, yes. I said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. Are you going to be content 
have the next four years be like the last four? How many people, my brother, have you seen come to know Christ through this church the last four years? He kind of hung his head and said, well, I don't know, maybe four. I said, well, you know, brother, my only question is, we can't go back and undo anything. But I want to ask you, what are you going to do to change that? Because that's why we're here. I want you to ask yourself that question. Are you content to live 1998 like you lived 1997 in this area of your life? I hope you're not. Again, the point's not to shame you, but to challenge you, to motivate, to urge you, to reevaluate where you're at because God gave you His Holy Spirit, according to Acts 1.8, that you might be witnesses. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. It's one of the primary reasons you got the Holy Spirit was to be a powerful witness for Christ. All right, I need you to turn to Romans chapter 1. We need to first establish the need. We need to first establish how does God see the world? What is the condition that our world is in? So we're going to start with verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what? Notice that. Notice that. Just again. Little key things that if you carefully read the scripture, you'll get answers to. The truth is suppressed not by God, and in this passage, not by the devil, although he plays a part, no question. In another chapter, the Bible says that he tries to blind the minds of the unbelieving. But look what it says here. Men suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that mankind is without excuse. Those are heavy words. You might say to me, Mark, what about the heathen in Africa? And I'd say, what about them? If anyone has evidence of God, when you can walk out on the Serengeti and see the giraffe, the zebra, the elephant, the lion, the jackal, the jaguar, the panther, the extraordinary beauty of Africa, and then decide to worship a piece of wood, you suppress the truth by your own wickedness. What is plain about God is plain to mankind. That's what God says. Now, you can argue with it. You can decide to walk away from Christianity because of it. But that's your choice. God says it's plain. And He holds them responsible. You need to know that. You need to be strong in this. Verse 21. For although they knew God, that means that all mankind... See, what God is saying is, genetically, He's put in them a God chip. Then if they listen to it, it tells them there is a God. There's a supreme being. Somebody made all of this. 
Listen, in America, we talk, you know, but we're so educated, we're so civilized, we're so ignorant and stupid. Why also be, be so gullible as to believe evolution? We're far more heathen than the heathen in Africa. At least they believe a piece of wood made the earth. We believe it just happened. So who's more stupid? You tell me. At least in their mind, they realize that there's probably a creator, designer, something up there. You know, we, no, there's no God. It just all happened. We've chosen this. And let me show you this. And anyway, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. And you see, that's the bottom line. See, that's the bottom line. One of the reasons mankind becomes so futile in his thinking is because he's so ungrateful. You know, when I was growing up, and this reminds me of God, nothing bothered my dad more. Nothing. My father came up, his father was killed when he was six. There were six kids in the family. My father ran the streets. He used to go to the boxcars in Council Bluffs, Iowa with his brother and sweep them out for the grain there to bring home to eat. My father's father fell into a pile of scrap metal off some scaffolding when the rope broke. He fell and was shredded to pieces. There was no insurance money and the company paid the family nothing. My father grew up destitute and basically in poverty. Nothing bothered my father more. Nothing would send him into a tantrum of lecturing rage than to see any of his kids arguing over food or being ungrateful for what he had worked so hard to give us. Like we deserved it. And I'll tell you something. Nothing chaps God's hide more than to have given every person life, breath, a heart, eyeballs, ears, a nose, a mouth, and the air they breathe, and the job they have, and the personality and temperament, and the brain. You didn't work for none of it. And not only do we not thank him, but we tell him he's not there. God's wrath will be revealed to this world. And it's not because he's mean. It's because he's so righteous, and we are so unrighteous. And then look what it says for all. In their foolish hearts, their thinking became futile and their hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie See, they did it. Not God. They exchanged their birthright like Esau for a bowl of porridge. Or like Jacob. We exchange what we could have for a lie. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is praised forever. You know, do you remember when I was doing... Uh, honest answers to tough spiritual questions? Some of you may have been here. And I talked about everyone... One of the reasons we know there's a God is we all have this innate desire to want to worship. We all do. Every person that you know worships something. I don't care if you're atheist or agnostic. If they don't worship God, they worship man! If they don't worship God, they worship logic and reason. 
If they don't worship God, they worship an idol. If they don't worship God, they worship pleasure. They worship money. But all they worship, every person worships. Because you have to fill that void. You have to find whatever your belief system is for your reason for being, your reason to live, and you worship it. And most Americans are humanists. And they bow to the idol of humanism, that man is lofty, man is high, man is so advanced, man will solve our problems. Because of this, I want to comment on this, God gave them over to shameful lust. I want you to underline the word shameful, because I didn't say it, God said it. I want to show you something. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Now, what is this describing? That What I just read. What's it describing? Pardon? Oh, you're being so intolerant. Are you sure? Huh? How many of you are sure? Raise your hand. You're sure. Very good. Gee whiz, I thought it was genetic. I thought you couldn't help it. I don't know. The Bible says here that they exchange their natural relation. I'm sorry. The Bible says here they're perverted. Is that what, does your Bible say that? You will, does your Bible say that? The due penalty for their perversion. I think God calls it perversion, doesn't he? All right, now let me ex- explain something to you. Is someone who's homosexual or sodomite, as the Bible refers to them, worse than someone who's just immoral with the opposite sex? No, sin is sin. But, if you met someone at your place of work, and one day you're in the lunchroom, just the two of you, And they start to tell you how much they love making love to their dog. Can I ask you a question? What would you think about the person? Are they natural or unnatural? Tell me, are they natural or unnatural? Unnatural. Are they straight or perverted? Is there a difference between being immoral or being perverted? Yes, there is. But they'll both send you to hell. Okay? So, I just want you to be straight on that. Because you live in a society that is pretty screwed up about this. Alright? Do I hate homosexual people? Absolutely not. Do I hate immoral people? Absolutely not. Do I hate adulterers? Absolutely not. God cares about them. Does He hate their sin? Yes. Does He call a spade a spade? Yes. I just want to arm you. I just want to help you understand how God sees the world. I don't really care about you. We need to see how God sees the world and you either decide to get on board with God or rebel against Him. That's your choice. I just want you to understand what the issue is. Okay? Now let's go on and look at all the other things in the world. Furthermore, since they, mankind, did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips. Gee, oh wait, wait, gossip. Please don't put gossiping in there. I mean, she was that's kind of I thought that was kind of an okay clean thing. Slanderers, 
God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decree that those, look at this, they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they approve of those who practice them. Is that heavy? That's heavy. Is that heavy? That's heavy. That's really heavy. It's also really true. I've had people look me in the eye and say, oh, I'm not so bad. Of course you are, and you know you are. So do I. I'm the same human being you are. I had to deal with the same guilty conscience everybody else did before I came to Christ. You better believe every person you know has a conscience, and you better believe they know what they're doing is wrong. But there certainly does come a point when you've burned your conscience. You've, the Bible refers to it as seared it time and time and time and time and time again. The nerve endings aren't so sensitive anymore. But still way down deep, when it's all real quiet, and you're all alone, and you can hear your own heart thumping, and your mind starts to wonder, God's Spirit starts to point to you. You've sinned. You've sinned. Judgment's coming. You deserve to die. You need me. That's the recurring message of the Holy Spirit over and over. John chapter 15 or 14. I will find it in a moment. Um, the Holy Spirit is coming into the world and it says... When he comes into the world, chapter 16, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit, this is who he is, when he comes into the world, he will convict, convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in Christ. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where they can see me no longer. In regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Gee, what is the Holy Spirit doing in the world? He's trying to set people up for you to share the gospel. He's trying to help them see you've sinned. You are guilty. You are responsible before me. No more excuses. Judgment is coming. There's only one way to escape. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll get into that in the future. Man's only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I realize some of you are going to walk away tonight and you're going to go, holy snot, that was really heavy. I have not heard anything like that at all. I didn't even know that Evergreen believed in that stuff. Gee, I mean, Christmas, is that ever different than my old, uh, you know, tolerant religion that I grew up in? Let me, I'm going to tell you something about God. God is extremely intolerant of sin not because he hates people but because he hates what sin does to people I want to give you a little analogy I want you to this may hit close to home for some of you I don't mean it to I'm just trying to come up with an analogy that you'll understand I want you to imagine for a moment that everyone you know including yourself has terminal cancer 
and you know that it's eventually going to end your life. And you are, you and a friend are frantically seeking a cure. And you are putting chemicals together. You got a little home lab, and you're doing everything you can. You got the rats going, and you got the monkeys there, and you're you're working night and day, night and day, night and day, because you realize the clock's ticking on you as well as the rest of the world. One day, you inject something into this rat, and 24 hours later, all the tumors are gone. Everything, the rat's fine. You put it in another one. 24 hours, it's gone. Put it in another one. 24 hours, it's gone. You decide, hey, next step, let's try the monkey. Put it in the monkey. 24 hours later, it's gone. You do another monkey. 24 hours later, it's gone. You decide, it's time for me. And you inject yourself. And 24 hours later, you go and you have CAT scan, and they're all gone. I want to ask you this question. What would you do? Would you sell the patent? No. You, I, I'll bet, knowing you, you'd call up every drug company in the world and give it to them for nothing, and then you'd start taking as much as you'd already made to every one of your family and friends first and to everyone else and beg them and plead with them if, they, if you could inject them with it. Do doctors hate diseases? Sure they do. Are they intolerant of diseases? Sure they are. Why? Because of what they do to people. Now let me share something with you. What I just told you is actually true of you and every single other human being, except the disease you have isn't cancer, it's called sin. And sin is killing you. And even if you know Christ here today, and you will live forever, sin is still killing you. It's slowly changing the shape of your bones. It's slowly changing the face. My face, sadly, is getting older and older and older all the time. My teeth are getting yellower and yellower all the time, and I don't drink coffee or anything else like that. My eyes, the last time I had a checkup, they said, well, Mark, probably time for bifocals. They said, no, no, I'm holding out for another. You forget it. I'm not getting bifocals. I'm sure next time I'll have bifocals. I'm starting to feel like every day from 6 o'clock on, I'm about 60. <laughs> and I'm dragging my feet, and I'm just trying to make it till 9.30 so I can go to bed. <laughs> and then I only sleep till about 2 a.m. <laughs> and in the meantime, I've got up to go to the bathroom about three times. <laughs> and then I decide about 5, what's the point? Get out of bed. So I get out of bed. Full of energy. Vacuum the car. Go out and mow the lawn. <laughs> and then about two, I feel like I just train ran into me. And I lay down for about 15, 20 minutes. Then I get up. My battery's been recharged. And I go till hopefully 10. And that's my life now. That wasn't my life seven years ago. I'm dying. I really mean that. I'm dying. So are you. But praise God, I'm going to be living forever. But the world isn't. They're dying. They're dying from a disease that only has one cure. One. And that's found in Romans 1.16. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, for curing you to the Jew first and to the Gentile. 
I want you to go to Romans 3, verse 23. And we're going to start with verse 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned. You want to underline that in your Bible. All have sinned. The Pope, the priest, the president, everybody. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. All mankind, all men and women, can be justified before God freely if they put their faith in Christ. Go to Romans 6.23, and then we'll close in just a moment. Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift, the gift means something you don't work for, it's free. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you this week, as you're walking around in your job and you're watching the news and and you're looking at the world around you, I just want you to gently but firmly remind yourself they're dying. And even though my body's dying, I'm not. I'm going to live forever. Death has been swallowed up in victory and I'm going to spend forever in eternity. And I want you to think as you go to your work, as you go to your job or you're, you're in the grocery store, I want you to ask yourself, I wonder if they know Christ. I wonder if they know Christ. And I want you to start praying for this. And I want you to start praying for this. And I want you to start praying for this until it starts making you uncomfortable. Until... You start losing a little sleep until it bothers you enough that the burden becomes great enough that you decide, I'm going to do something about it. I read a story. I want to close on this true story today in the paper, one of the editorials. It was about a Christian woman, and it was a Christian story written by a Christian professor. It's about this woman. Uh, she's alive right now. Just an ordinary housewife, ordinary Christian woman, Ordinary little children going to school. She's involved in PTA and she was involved in the drama team at her church. This was in a secular newspaper today. Someone brought a video to her home. Um, well, actually what happened first was she went to see the Holocaust Museum, the one on wheels that moves around. And at the end, it talks about, remember the Holocaust, don't forget, and don't let it ever happen again. Do something about it. For some reason, it really struck her. It really struck her. She, she couldn't sleep that night. Two days later, someone brought her a video and showed her this video of persecuted Christians around the world, of women in, um, which country was I reading? I think it was uh, the Sudan. 15-year-old, 16-year-old girls whose family are Christians, born again, who are ripped from the family and sold as sexual slaves because they're Christians of interview after interview of men and women that have been raped and beaten and tortured because they simply believe in Christ. And this woman, single-handedly, has gone on a rampage. She got bothered enough 
that she's decided to do something. And right now, because of her efforts, there's an act before Congress that they're going to be voting on sometime soon to get serious with the human rights abuses of persecution and torture of Christians. Now, God has not really laid that on my heart, and I want to explain why. Because Jesus promised me the world would hate me. And I expect to suffer. But I want to tell you the burden God's laid on my heart. And it does make me toss and turn at night. And it is why we put so much passion and energy into this church. This city's going to hell. This is the most liberal, wicked city in the Midwest. The Twin Cities desperately needs Christ. And I believe He wants us to get it to them. Until that starts to bother you, we'll never make a difference. You'll never make a difference until you start to see the world like God sees the world. That's where we start tonight. As we go on through the weeks, we'll look at the answer. We'll look at how that answer changes people's lives. And we'll talk about how you can be involved in that and what style of evangelism can have the greatest effect on people. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you tonight. Lord, what's mind-blowing to me is that in your eyes, as far as my sin... My sin was as repulsive to you as Jeffrey Dahmer's is repulsive to me. But you died for me. And you freely offered me your son. That's how great your love is. That's how wonderfully kind, extraordinarily caring and compassionate you are to the world we live in. Now I want to ask you, Lord, tonight that you would take the Word of God and you would change our hard hearts. I acknowledge to you my own heart is hardened. My own heart is not soft like yours. My own heart does not beat like yours. My own heart does not tear and break and cry for the needs of the human beings around me. And I want it to change. And I want you to soften me, Lord. I want you to break down my heart in the gristle of my soul. I want to ask you, Lord, that you'd use this seminar in the next four weeks, unlike any you've done before when I've done Winning Ways. I just want to pray that you'd do a new thing in our heart and you'd make us dynamic, soul-winning, influential people that we'd make the commitment to become what you give us the power to be. Help us to make our list. Help us to pray. Help us to plan. Help us to get involved. In Jesus' name, amen.